this Holy Thursday reflection will focus on the following passage from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 22, verses 15 and following. When the hour came, he took his place at table with the apostles. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I shall not eat it again until there is fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I tell you that from this time on I shall not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which will be given for you. Do this in memory of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which will be shed for you. So I send you these reflections from something of a Eucharistic desert. Uh, uh, a lot of you have been away from the sacrament of the Eucharist for some time now, many days, and I am in the same place. When this actual Feast of Holy Thursday comes around, um, it will apparently be the same, and we won't be able to receive our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And I'd like to focus these reflections on just one line from this Gospel which is that line, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This line in Latin is really beautiful. Latin is just another translation from the original Greek, just like English, but the way they, they translate it into Latin is desiderio desideravi. I wa have wanted with great want, I have desired with great desire to eat this Passover meal with you, says Jesus. Jesus is in a really interesting mood, I think, when uh, he begins this Passover meal with his disciples. But before going into that, before going into a little bit the composition of place around what happens at the Last Supper, I'll share this personal story with you. I remember when uh, the terrible news broke about Father Maciel's betrayals. I remember very well where I was. Um, Father Maciel had been a, a, a person that I had known well enough to really admire him personally and even to develop a real personal affection, sort of a, the affection of a son, as it were, for him. Uh, he was a very important person in my life. I had um, left the Legion some years before, some 10 years before, uh, finding out about the news about what had really occurred in his life. Now, I remember the phone call that I got, another former legionary friend of mine called with the news, and I was sitting at my desk in an advertising agency, and I stood up quickly from my desk after hearing it, and I remember thinking to myself that I didn't really trust myself to make right judgments around this news. I was concerned that this was such a monumental revelation that by myself I would very likely reach the wrong conclusions and the wrong attitude relative to what I just learned. So I went to my boss in this advertising agency and I told him that I had just received some difficult news and that I needed some leave for a while. And I got in my car and I drove to St. Hugo's Church, about a mile away from where I worked, uh, and I kind of threw myself on my knees before the Blessed Sacrament because I knew that in the presence of Jesus I would be able to bear this news and that he would protect me and protect my judgment 
and then I could trust him to look after me in the midst of this news. And that began a long process, of course, of sort of assimilating all of that, which I think for all of us to some degree still goes on today. But the other day I received some, some bad news as well. Um, on Thursday evening I worked for Hilton Hotels and I received an email from Hilton saying that 95% of our marketing department was laid off for three months and I was among them. And that was very shocking news as well in these times when already there's a great deal of uncertainty around our economy and so forth. And I had that same desire to go throw myself on my knees before the Blessed Sacrament and ask Jesus to guide my judgments, guide my way of thinking at this time, above all looking for him to, to, to protect my trust in him at this moment. And I, I even went out of my house and went over to the, to the church, but what I suspected was true. I pulled on the door and it was locked because there is no visiting uh, churches right now to, to in our diocese to, to be with the Blessed Sacrament any more than there is masses or adoration or anything of that sort. So I was deprived of this desire that I had, this great desire that I had to be with Christ, with a great desire I've desired to have him guide my judgments at this moment. So if in this gospel passage he talks to us about his great desire to eat that Passover with his disciples. What about his great desire to be with me? What happened to that at this moment in my life? Reminds me a little bit of that footprints, um, you know, that footprints poem, even as, I, even as I asked the question. What happened to him? Where is he at this moment? The one thing that he gave us, uh, that, that he promised would be with us forever, um, even as he went on to his passion then ultimately ascended into heaven after the resurrection was the, the Blessed Sacrament was his Eucharist. <coughs> so I remember, you know, the other day kind of walking around my house, pacing around like a lost puppy and thinking about some of this stuff. Um, but I think, I think that it bears reflecting on the night when Jesus instituted this sacrament to, to, to help us to make some sense of all of this. You know, the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, referred to the Eucharist in one of his encyclicals as the source and summit of our Christian life. And I think, I hope, I, I know it certainly has until this point, I hope that f forever in the, in the upcoming years and centuries of, of, of the Church, this will be, become kind of a hallmark title for the, the Eucharist, kind of a reference point for the Eucharist, the source and summit of our Christian life. But it occurs to me that <clears throat> this source and summit of the Christian life, the Eucharist, it isn't actually the source of Jesus's ardent love for us. The Eucharist is not the source of Jesus's ardent love for us, but rather the reverse is true. That Jesus's ardent love for his disciples and for us is actually the source of the Eucharist. It's what, what brings about this gift, what brought about this gift. And going back to his mood at that Last Supper, we can certainly well imagine it. Uh, the agony in the garden was coming, and, and undoubtedly Jesus had weighing very heavily on his mind all, the, all, all that would be coming in his passion. And undoubtedly the burden of our sin, which laid him low in the agony in the garden and made him sweat blood, was, was seeping into his soul at this very moment. 
and he was starting to feel that sense of rebellion that comes with a sense of sin, that sense of distance from his father, which is a sensation he had never had to endure. That sensation which would be which would bring him on his knees in the agony in the garden to beg his father to let the cup pass him by, that would bring droplets of blood. It was already coming into his soul. And truly, I believe that as this sense of, of distancing and suffering and moral suffering was entering into Jesus, his compassion for his disciples was increasing with it because he knew and he sensed that the emptiness that he was feeling was the emptiness that dwelled regularly in the souls of his friends, of his disciples. And so as he sensed their emptiness, as he sensed their need as a mirror, as it were, of the, own, of the need that he himself was beginning to feel for his father, that, that distancing, he wanted to fill that emptiness. He longed to fill that emptiness. And he wanted to do so personally. And he wanted to penetrate, as it were, dividing the very folds of their flesh, entering into the soul of their souls, where the root and home of that emptiness lay, to fill it with his, with his divinity, to fill it. And he wanted to do that forever. And so he gave them the gift of the Eucharist. Now, of course, we know that the Eucharist was a gift calculated from eternity. It was something part of God's very well calculated plan. We could almost say coldly calculated plan from all eternity, using uh, an improper metaphor, if you will. But no less, it was the product of this moment in time when Christ's soul was consumed in ardent love for his apostles and every every verse of the gospel around this event, the priestly prayer of Jesus where he begs God for, God his Father for, the unity of his disciples. All of the different pieces, the, the, the washing at the feet, we see this deeply sort of distressed and ardent love, this desirous love of Christ for the fulfillment of his disciples coming through. His desire as he contemplates leaving his disciples at his passion, his desire to give them true fulfillment and to reverse the effect of sin in their souls. So this ardent love of Jesus without any question is the source of the Eucharist. And we can say that the Eucharist is quite literally the embodiment of his ardor at that moment of time and that ardent love that he has for them and for each one of us. And that's the gift that we have and that perhaps in this Eucharistic desert, some of us are learning to appreciate like never before. So let's, let's try to understand a little, let's try at least to get a glimpse of a hint of a sense of what's going on in this, in this, in this situation where Jesus is held back as it were from giving us this sacrament. I think, I think it's interesting to look uh, to areas and moments in the gospel where we see this ardent love of Christ for his flock in some way hindered from meeting its mark. I think we can learn something from this. We see this, this passionate love of Jesus for people throughout the gospel, of course. We can cite passage after passage after passage. But sometimes we see, we see it hindered. We see it contained. Um, and, and always certainly within the realm of, of, of the greater wisdom and love of, of divine providence. But we see this desire of Jesus to connect with his people 
and this desire of his to, to fill them, we see it hindered or contained in certain areas. One such example uh, is that moment when John the Baptist is in prison. Herod has him imprisoned and he's suffering terribly. And he who had pointed out the Lamb of God, he, is, he who was the first to announce Jesus effectively as the Messiah, so confidently and so boldly uh, at the moment of the baptism in the Jordan, sends some disciples to Jesus to say, and we can see, we can, we can, we can hear John's suffering in the question, are you he who is to come or are we to await another? Product undoubtedly of John's deep desolation and he's reach, reaching out in his sort of parched thirst for some sort of spiritual consolation. He's reaching out to Jesus through his disciples for a confirmation from Jesus, just a word of confirmation, um, some sort of beautiful word of consolation from his friend and cousin. And Jesus, interestingly, uh, does not respond very nicely to the disciples, it seems like, in the gospel. He says, tell John what you've heard and seen. You've been out here. You know, the, 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 the deaf can hear, the dumb can speak, the lame can walk, and blessed is he who finds no stumbling block in me. So he sends them away with that. And Jesus undoubtedly here was holding back that consolation from John at that moment to bring John to the fullness of the fulfillment of his destiny, his great destiny, as uh, you know, this this faithful disciple, he's bringing G John's desert experience, which is culminated in the trial of his imprisonment and desolation in Herod's palace. He's allowing that to come to fulfillment, and he's not he's not intervening with consolation and cutting short the fulfillment of John's great destiny as ultimately a martyr for Christ. But imagine how torn Jesus's heart is at this moment and how inflamed it was when he held back that consolation from John. He's, he whirls around to the crowd and he vents what he's experiencing with them in words that are probably among the most laudatory words and impactful and substantive words of praise uh, that have ever been uttered or captured for a human being. And he says, when you went out to see John the Baptist in the desert, what did you go out to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Those who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. Then why did you go out? To see a prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist. Jesus vents this pride and this love that he has for his cousin and this faithful man whom he loves so much and who ultimately loves him to the point of death. He vents that love out upon the crowd and we can see, we can see sort of the passion and the ardor of it. Then there's another moment that I've always been very moved by um, in the gospel where Jesus' sort of love is contained in a similar way. Lazarus is very sick. 
Jesus is on his way to Bethany to visit that family and Lazarus is very sick. He's at the point of death. And Jesus stops on the road and he spends a couple of days on the way and he doesn't hurry. And people even tell him, hurry up, get going. And he says, this, this, this sickness will not end in death, but it will, it will be for the glory of God. But he knows that Lazarus is going to die while he is out. So in his wisdom, for his own reasons, he holds on. And he gets finally to Bethany and Lazarus has passed away. And Mary, the sister of Lazarus, says to Jesus, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. Now Jesus knows full well that he will be raising Lazarus from the dead and he knows that he'll be bringing the glory of God from this event. He's got all that divine wisdom but Jesus, at hearing these words, he weeps. He weeps because of having to contain until that moment the profound love for he, ha he has for the two sisters, Martha and Mary, and, the and their brother Lazarus, so that he could bring to culmination the ultimate event of the glory of God that all of this is for, for that time when they were to rejoice ultimately together at Lazarus's resurrection. So we have precedent and we have hints in the gospel around what occurs in the heart of Christ when he is detained from pouring out that love for us that he has, that compassion for us that he has, which ultimately we see at its greatest expression at the moment of the Last Supper when he channels that love into the gift of the Eucharist. So I think when we think about, when, when we feel a little bit of an abandonment, when we feel by ourselves at this time and we feel the need for the Eucharist and we feel that we don't have it and we wonder about that, and perhaps we feel a little bit of self-pity at our own sense of desolation, I don't think in the midst of all of this we should feel perturbed because one thing we can be sure of Christ gave us the Eucharist and he wants us to have it. And if, through the permission of divine providence, he is held back from giving that gift to us, his choice gift among all gifts, to us who want it, then the ardor and passion of his love is churned up into a firestorm. And let us see if we turn to him in, spiritual, in, in, in the request for spiritual communion, if we turn to him in this time and ask for the grace of the sacrament, let's just see if he holds back the grace and sustenance that we ask for. I don't think so. It has not been my experience. And we hear from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith the following words that they wrote under, I believe it was under Cardinal Ratzinger, later Benedict XVI, um, in 1983. They say, individual, faithful, or communities who, because of persecution or lack of priests, are deprived of the Holy Eucharist for either a short or longer period of time, do not thereby lack the grace of the Redeemer. If they are intimately animated by a desire for the sacrament and united in prayer with the whole church and call upon the Lord and raise their hearts to him, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, they live in communion with the whole church, the living body of Christ, and with the Lord himself.
Through their desire for the sacrament in union with the church, no matter how distant they may be physically, they are intimately and really united to her and therefore receive the fruits of the sacrament. Have we been making our spiritual communions with this sort of confidence and this sort of faith? The fruits of the sacrament. You know how that spiritual communion prayer goes, you know, Lord, I can't receive you sacramentally, so please come to be spiritual, this kind of thing. Right here, the church tells us it's not some spiritual benefit that we receive. We receive the fruits of the sacrament of the Eucharist. We receive Eucharistic grace. We need to have faith in our Lord and turn to him with that absolute faith. Remember, the Eucharist is not the source of Christ's grace and love for us, his ardent love for us. Rather, his ardent love for us is the source of that grace. And the Eucharistic Jesus, the Jesus who gave us the Eucharist, he is God, the Almighty. And while we would be fools to stay away from the Eucharist voluntarily, when it is kept from us, we can, we can look to his Godhead and remember what the Catechism told us in its, in, in its wisdom that while God's grace is bound to the sacraments, tied to them, it is not bound by the sacraments. It is not bound by the sacraments. The sacraments are not fences that gate in the grace of the Almighty, but rather he and his power is beyond capable of channeling that ardor of the love of Jesus for our souls deprived of the sacrament and giving us the fruits of the sacrament itself. So let's turn to him on this Holy Thursday with great confidence. Let's make a spiritual communion to, with him with great confidence that whether we feel it or not, whatever emotions might be in us, whether we feel desolated, whether we feel consoled, whether we feel like John in prison or the disciples on Tabor, we can be certain that if we ask him the grace of the sacrament of the Eucharist in all of its purity and all of its power, in all of the intimacy with Jesus that it brings and the transformation of our souls that it brings with it, we can be certain that that gift is ours this evening. It may be that at this time, even with great confidence and great trust, we may be tempted to say words like the very trusting Mary of Bethany said, Lord, if you had but been here, Lord, if you had but been here, my brother would not have died. If you had just been here, I would have had someone to turn to when I lost my job the other day. If you had but been here, we could feel like John in prison. Despite the confidence and trust we have in our Lord, we could feel desolate. We could feel alone. I believe at this time our Lord, with great love for us, returns to us the message that he gave to John. Blessed is he who finds no stumbling block in me.